Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Right, day two at the O2 Arena, the ATP World Tour Finals has come to a close. Two matches played in the singles, two matches played in the doubles. Novak Djokovic has just beaten John Isner and was imperious. Don't ask me for my verdict on it. Let's ask two people who know far more about it than me uh, in the form of Charlie Eccleshare from The Telegraph and a huge warm welcome to Colin Fleming. Hello, Colin. Hello, guys. Uh, great to be uh, back on the tennis podcast. Yeah, we've ju- previously we've been on a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, so. we, we've just established that you were on before. It was so memorable, you didn't, didn't remember it. I have to admit, I did think it was my debut, So, uh, but great to be here nonetheless. Yes, indeed. You've just been here uh, as a fan, haven't you? Just as a ticket holder. Absolutely, yeah. I got my ticket in my pocket, which... Uh, I think it's always nice to experience an event in in that way. You know, we're very privileged as people that work in in the tennis industry to turn up to these kind of events, and and the tendency can be to take them for granted a little bit. But to come in uh, on the tube and, and and use my ticket and go in as a fan and just experience the event is uh, it's good. Gives you a different perspective and, and makes you remember that's what it's about. You're, you're selling a show at the end of the day. And you, you, I seem to remember which year was it? Were, were you and Ross Hutchins? Were you alternates here? Is that right? Yeah, we were the the doubles alternates. In um, now you're really testing me. See, yeah. I, I've forgotten I made my debut on this. So uh-huh. how am I going to remember that? You know. So um, I think it was uh, it was 2012 actually. Um, which is a significant year because it was the end of that year that Ross, unfortunately, was diagnosed with his with his illness. So yeah. um, great, obviously, to see him do so well and, and having been with him uh, all last week as, as the, he's the tournament director in Milan. So yeah. what, what a success he's he's been since finishing on the tour, which is which is great. Obviously, significantly biased as, as one of my best pals as well. But um, yeah, so it was 2012. We finished. I think we finished ten in the race. Um, I can't remember who finished ninth, but they didn't come as alternates, so we we came, and uh, it was yeah, it was a, a, a fantastic season. Yeah, it was great to to kind of achieve that if you like, even yeah. though we didn't quite get to play, but great to be here. Yeah, quite an amazing place to to watch tennis, isn't it? I mean, you've just been in the crowd. What what is it like as a, as a sort of spectator experience? It was good. It was good. Um, You're not so sure. Well, I think a lot in tennis depends on the match that you watch, um, and. 
you know, it was pretty one-sided. I don't think anyone, you know, any of us can can disagree. It was it was a little bit one-sided in terms of the show they put on. It's spectacular, isn't it? With the, the build-up and the walk-ons and the light show and the music and the, um, you know, it's very, they do a great job of that. But um, you know, Novak Djokovic was was incredible. Um, so so good tonight. Just. Gave Isner absolutely nothing. The, the way he was returning the serve, I actually was what you know. Took, we were at the side of the court, so I, I took the chance to just keep focus on Djokovic for quite a few points. It looked to me like he was reading Isner's serve. He was making a, a move before the serve was being hit, and and just the way he returned was it's, it's mind blowing, really, and the way he moves as well. But um, yeah, and it, it was good. It was good. Right, well, we're going to get on to why Conan is not absolutely emphatically uh, impressed uh, with the entertainment in the moment or two. But let's just ask Charlie, what, what, what did you make of the, uh, the, the Djokovic performance last night against a guy? I was reading you, Isner, six foot ten. He hit 13 aces tonight and 69% of his first serves went in mm. and he lost 6 4, 6 3. Yeah. I mean, the way Djokovic was playing, it looked as if he was taking about 30 miles an hour off Isner's serves. He was making them look like sort of 100 mile an hour, 110s, when they were absolutely flying at him. His anticipation, he was just taking, taking it away from Isner. And Isner looked, you know, he actually picked himself up well in the second set, I thought, because the first set was brutal. You know, every game was a break point, more or less. I think all but one. In the second set, Isner did at least start holding his serve, but you always felt Djokovic was going to lift it. And he just looks so liberated right now. He just looks like he's having fun. He's enjoying it. It's all a bonus. He's had such a great year already. And uh, it's just it's terrifying for everyone else. It, that, that's actually quite a good way of putting it. I, I, I was commentating on it, and I was thinking, you know, what must... What must other players be thinking when they come up against him? There was a moment for, for Isner, I think after about three games of the match, he'd had two service games, and he, he was already shaking his head, uh, as if he actually held on to his serve. He was leading 2-1, but you could see in his eyes, I don't really know what to do. again. I'm doing what I do. I'm absolutely marmalising serves and hitting everything I can as hard as I can. And it wasn't, wasn't doing much. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um I think Djokovic is is rebuilding that aura that he had um, a couple of years ago or, or a few years ago, where you know even even on a stage like this, amongst the top eight players, he was winning matches before taking to the court. Um, yeah, I, I think he's he, he went through a, a really rocky period. There's no doubt. Um, had had the surgery at the start of the year, but mentally and and physically in in that period, he was you know pretty far from from his best. Um, and I think he's now back on it mentally and he's, he's rebuilt his, his kind of physical fitness obviously Marion Vida's come back uh, back into the team Gebhard Filgritz has come back in as you know his fitness trainer and he's putting the work in again and he seems to have that uh, kind of I almost think it's like an inner zen where he just sort of centres himself in big moments and big matches and you just think well, well nothing's going to sort of knock him off his perch mm. here he's so calm and composed and Relentless in his, his competitiveness once he's mentally there again. So he's he's got he's he's getting close to having that aura again. I, uh, based on what you've seen today from Alexander Zverev and, and Marin Cilic as well, but can you see is it, is there anybody obvious that you think might stop Djokovic here? Not in the group stage, I wouldn't say. And and I think it's interesting about getting the aura back because I think in a way it, he's almost more dangerous now because I feel like he's had that. You know, period away, and he's rediscovered the love for the game, mm-hmm. and it feels like that's even more powerful somehow. You know, I, I feel on some level he had to have at some point. You can't even he couldn't have that relentless intensity, but now he's had that. He's come back recharged, and he looks even more fired up than ever. 
And so you compare that with you know the, just the mental side, let alone the forehands and backhands, with what we saw from Zverev and Cilic, two players who, in their own way today, look pretty frail, pretty flaky. The idea of them really going toe-to-toe with Djokovic, I just don't see it, really. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Cilic can play any better than he did in, in Paris. Yeah. He played an incredible first set and didn't play bad in the, in the remaining two sets, and Djokovic just, just wore him down. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough ask. Um, conditions suit him down to a tee, you know, here at the O2. Um, yeah, t- tough to see anyone stopping him, certainly in the group, but I, I think this week it would be a significant upset if he doesn't win it. Well, what's going on with... Marin Cilic at the moment when he's ahead because it's becoming a recurring theme now I've got I've got Grand Matt here with us who, who no doubt can reel off the exact details of how many times he's been ahead and let it slip I mean it's a few isn't it Matt there's an awful lot there was the two set lead against Payer at Wimbledon going back that far then more recently we've had he let it he let a set and a break lead slip against Nishikori at the US Open We've had he squandered match points against Jarry in Shanghai or Beijing somewhere. Um, he did. He had a, as Colin mentioned, he was a breakup in that deciding set against Djokovic in Paris. Today he wasn't in a position necessarily to win the match, but he was ahead in the first set. Should have been a double breakup, and yeah, he just f- fell to pieces. And when Chilich goes off a bit, it's so obvious because the he just racks up errors and. There's no way of hiding it. The match just sort of runs away from him. Do, do, do you think that those are bona fide sort of chokes? He's, he was 5-2 up today in the first set. Three love up, 5-2 up. Then and a break-up in the second and as well. A break-up in the second. What, what, what do you make of it? Well, it's now, it is now becoming a bit of an issue for him. I, I agree with that. In some of those matches in Asia, um, which I watched, where he struggled, I think, I think a significant one that I would mention would be the Davis Cup tie against America, where I think that, I think that really hurt him. You know, set up on query, 6-1 up in the second set, tie-break, lost it, went on to lose the match at home to query on clay, you know, in front of his fans where he's, you know, the big the big, the big, big guy, the number one. I think that hurt him and that probably um, played on his mind in Asia and then the more times it happens, the more time, you know, the more it becomes a bit of an issue. Um, and again today, 5-2, you know, there's no doubt you, you can you can kind of put your poker face on it, but, you know, that'll be annoying him when he gets back to his locker room after the match. I'm sure it's it's on his mind, and then the more it's on your mind, the more it can happen. Um, so it's, it's it's a difficult period for him. Um, he did play incredibly well in Paris. I, I thought he was really, really good. Um, so... You is know, that, is, is that you tennis players taking the positives out of the fact that he played well, even though he didn't win? Yeah, I think... Look, I think is that what you've? I guess what I'm seeing is, yeah. I mean, he's going through an incredibly difficult patch, closing out sets, closing out matches. But but in between it all, played, you know, a very good level. I'm thinking back. I think it was 2014. He won the US Open, where I've never seen Chilich play like it. Where he was just complete belief in in all his shots, the forehand in particular, where it just looked like he could go all out on it and not miss it. Usually that's the wing where you think, well, he's, when it gets to the tight mm. moment, is that the one that's just gonna maybe just let him down once or twice? And in Paris against Djokovic in that first set, I thought that's like 2014 US Open again. But then it just, you know, Djokovic did what Djokovic does, wore him down. So he he's played really good tennis in this recent period, but he has had a few difficult moments, shall we say? So see how the rest of this tournament plays out, and then. Uh, Something to keep an eye on in that Davis mm. Cup final for sure. Now, I, uh, when that match was going on, I sent Charlie here a text, a challenge. I said, I want you to go and find out from Marin Cilic what's going on. How did you get on, Matt, uh, Charlie? Well, I asked him, and he 
he was he basically said he needs to be more focused um you know in those moments which i thought was a slightly strange response because as an outsider i don't know how you feel about this colin but it feels like he's thinking about it too much you know it, it feels like he's very conscious of the fact that he's you know the cliche of playing every point the same and all of that it doesn't look like he's doing that at all it looks like he's very aware of the fact that he's got a lead and you know talk about the poker face he's got the ball bouncing which is almost like you know laying his hands out on the table it's it's so his cards on the table I should say, it's so clear you know when he does get tight and and he starts moving in a certain way and I don't know it feels like his opponent's can, can sense that I, I would say with him it's it's interesting if you cast him back to 2016 and he had a similar issue remember he missed the match points against Federer he lost the Davis Cup final from two sets up against Juan mm. Martín del Potro to give him his due and we were saying similar things then the following year he got to the Wimbledon final I know it didn't end that well and then the Australian Open final six months later so he two ways of looking at that you know this isn't the first time he's had these issues but also he has responded fairly well uh, in the past and you know, it, it'll be interesting now to see how he does. You know, can he dig himself out of this hole, or does it just become something that defines him? Can, can you remember being on the court yourself in in, in doubles? I mean, I remember a couple of the Davis Cup ties. I, I, I think I even remember one of them, maybe in Umag, when you were playing really well, and then you get inside a victory, and it and it changes. That that you the, the sort of conviction about a player, you can tell when someone's tight. I'll never forget the look in Grigor Dimitrov's eyes a year ago when he was closing in on victory mm. here, you know, and you could see him basically rolling serves and just, just just trying to get over the line somehow. Yeah, I think, like, I remember that match in Umag, and yeah, I, I think it was the end of the third set, I, I, I got really tight, I remember that, I was playing well, and uh, I just remember there's this mad Croatian guy on that baseline where I was serving from, we had like a foghorn, I don't remember that, <laughs> just like, I don't know what it was, it's the loudest thing. And then suddenly, in that moment, that's all I could hear in my head, and I'm just like, you know, burning up. I think the other factor there, and actually that one in Umag, is throughout the week, I, I, I wasn't really feeling 100. percent I think I was feeling mm. a little bit, um, a little bit sick. And uh, it, as the match went on, it was a really hot day, and I just started to have a little doubt, like I was, I'm, I'm feeling a bit tired here. And then I think that made me nervous to try and finish it in three. Yeah. Um, and, and and obviously we ended up losing that set, and I, there was a bit of bit of I wouldn't say panic because obviously I kept it together. We ended up winning four, but there was a bit of worry setting, and then uh, but thankfully sort of calmed it down. And when we got over the line in four, because you know two sets up, that's the other thing in a team event. You think, well, we're two two sets up here. If we lose this, it's a disaster. We let everyone down. I'm feeling a bit knackered here. I don't want to, you know, you know, look tired in a doubles match yeah. and things. All these things go through your head. So it was uh, that was a tough moment, but. Um, Look, to go back to Chilich, tough moment, yes. When the dust settles in 2018, um, Australian Open finalist, Queen's winner, could be Davis Cup winner, qualified for the O2, top eight in the world. You know, I'm not going to lose sleep over, over Chilich's worries. You know, he's had a pretty special year <laughs> he again. He has, hasn't he? Zverev was playing terribly at the start. He, he was three love down, as we said, and he was constantly chattering in the direction of Ivan Lendl. He... he he wanted to have it out about what was going wrong. I, I asked him after... We don't get much out of these players, honestly. I asked him afterwards, what were you saying to, to Ivan Lendl when you, you, and, or to your coaching team? when you, you were, It was constant, really, after every point. And he, he wasn't having it. He said, oh, I don't remember what I was saying. Uh, you know, uh, it worked out in the end, didn't it? It's basically what he said. I mean, I, I like Zverev in the interview room. I don't know him at all. I've not interviewed him on a one-to-one basis. But, my goodness, he just tells you how, how he sees it. 
and it, whether you like it or not, he's going to tell you what he thinks. He might he might sometimes come across even as a bit rude, frankly, to, to us in the media. I don't care. That's fine. Um, and today, he he reiterated his point that he he is not playing Davis Cup finals next year if they hold it in November. And he said, I don't I'd be I don't think any of the top players, maybe Rafa, will play. But he says I don't I think very very few of them will play. He also did that thing that he likes to do of saying, as I've said before, or you know. I've said all this kind of you know he likes to make the point that you know he doesn't like answering the same question twice which unfortunately yeah. is the life of a tennis player um, yeah he's punchy he uh, he doesn't suffer fools gladly he just says it how it is and yeah it's, it's great for us I think observing it and he is going to rub people up the wrong way I think he'll be if and when he emerges as a Grand Slam champion or someone who dominates the game I don't think he'll be universally loved in the way that say a Federer or Nadal is I think he will be more divisive than that but yeah, that's no bad thing. But he, uh, yeah, playing wise today, I mean, really ropey first set. Yeah. Well, what do you make of him as a player? Obviously, he's a very, very good player. He's here, second year in a row, and he he didn't go to the the next gen, which he could have gone to the last two years. And yet, you still have this question mark over him at Slams because he hasn't. I think he's reached one quarterfinal one quarter, yeah. so far. And got hammered in that. Do you do you see an issue there? Given, given what he's doing everywhere else, do you see much of an issue there, Colin? Um, I, I don't think he's maximising his potential in, in the way he's playing a little bit. Um, I was kind of fascinated. Why not? I was just fascinated to watch him at the Lever Cup. I don't know if, if, you, if you guys watched, mm. watched that, but that moment where Federer was sort of leaning over the bench and giving him a good, you know, minute, a couple of minutes of of advice and staying staying close to the baseline and and, and looking to dictate points, not fall back too much and. Just felt like Zverev was a little bit glazed over. Even he's though he's it was not listening to that, is he? Well, he, exactly. He, but he, that we, we've been asking him about whether Lendl has been telling him to do that, given obviously the, what he did with Andy. Mm. And Zverev's not having it. He, he's saying, "Look, I've got these big swings. I need more time." Well, that's it. And I think, um, but I do think Lendl um, will, will prove to be a good appointment for him. I think you know, if anyone's going to sort of get the message across, then. It, it's probably going to be Lendl, you know. Although Federer is Federer and incredible, he's still sort of on the tour. He's still a competitor, right? Of Zverev, so it's maybe a little bit. He doesn't want to seem like he's taking that advice, perhaps. But I think um, Lendl could prove to be an inspired appointment. I, I think, yeah, he needs to he needs to step up a little bit. He's he's not he's not going to be a Federer like taking every ball on the rise, and because he does have you know the bigger swings, especially in the forehand. He he doesn't really adjust the forehand take bad, regardless of the shot that's coming in there. So that's where sometimes I think he struggles if it's a fast ball or a high, uh, sorry a really low ball. He still takes the racket back up up quite high and likes to then wind it up from there. So, but I have seen him at times really dictate when he's confident. Um, and but, but you've got to be timing the ball really well if you've got that bigger swing. So he's not going to be a Federer sort of right on top of the baseline taking it early, but I do think he just needs to, you know, tip the balance a little bit more towards dictating opponents, um, especially in in bigger moments. But there's no doubt there's a there's a game there that's capable of you know special things in, in the sport, and and he's got a mentality as well where he thinks he's destined for that. So that counts for a lot as well when you're going into these moments, and I think he'll chip away at that Grand Slam, you know trouble if you like that he's had but and, and and eventually you know we'll see him we'll see him in, in in semis and finals and you know probably win one one day but that's what really intrigues me about it you know he, he does give off that impression that he feels he is destined to win one and he, and he also he's very dismissive of the fact that he hasn't got such a good grand slam record and i'd love to know whether he genuinely just isn't worried you know he's 
very calm, very self-assured that it will come eventually, or it's a slight, you know, not wanting to show that maybe he does have more anxiety. And, and you know, he's probably at the extreme end of that. I think some players maybe give away too much after defeats. You know, they, they are so clearly hurt by them. But I do think if he is just, you know, very relaxed, it's going to happen, it's going to come, that's fine. But it, it does feel like maybe he needs to take on some of the lessons from, from this last year. And, and hopefully he will. And hopefully, you know, behind the scenes he is. But, like, you know, the French Open where he, he did reach that quarterfinal, but he was absolutely exhausted by the time he did and, and he basically couldn't move by the end and the team destroyed him. And he'd gone through these really tough five setters and I think the question was justifiably asked, you know, can you keep doing this? Can, you know, this is going to catch up with you. And again, he was quite dismissive of that. He was like, why aren't you, you know, just praising me for winning these tough five set matches? And I think the reason is that people have high expectations for him and if you're going to be a Grand Slam champion, you can't, you can't be doing that. You, you can't go through a whole tournament with, with having lapses for a set or a two because it will catch up with you. And that's what happened to him. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. This lukewarm response of yours to tonight's entertainment, Colin, um, is it due to what you witnessed last week in Milan? You seem to be the only person that I've come across so far that likes these short sets. Explain well, yourself. Well, I just want to clarify, lukewarm, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it was, it, I said it was good. I didn't say it was, you know, average, which lukewarm feels kind of average to poor to me, but it was good. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I th- like I said, the show was, is, is spectacular. Yeah. Um, and and they, do, they do an incredible job of that in, in a special arena. And um, we, we watched one of the best players ever, you know, do his stuff to a, mm. a very high level. Um, it, w- it was a good show. 
could have been better uh, look possibly I think I think I am probably influenced by having been in Milan all last week and, and, and commentated on, on the majority of matches and especially what do you like about it why, why are you four it's first to four isn't it and then tie break at three all best of five first of four games tie break at three all yeah mm. um, with, with so many other you know no ad and, and, and no lets everything thrown in I, I just feel um, look I, 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 first of all I want to make the point I, I, I'm not I'm not dead set on this um, I don't think we would ever see it here at the O2 with the World Tour Finals and at the very highest level of the game but I just feel having been in Milan and been so entertained by it at times and the two semi-finals were just breathtaking you know I commentated on both of them so I sat there for four and a half hours um, and I, I walked out of that commentary booth and I was you know adrenaline was pumping and it was it was just it was like so it was just so good to watch no downtime I, I think I was sitting there in the match and I was sort of you know counting on my fingers the games because uh, you know a little bit slow tonight but um, so, so Djokovic breaks it at 2 all for 3-2 and for me the first set was over at that moment because you know okay it's an extreme contrast in styles tonight where you've got Isner who really struggling against Djokovic from the back of the court and Djokovic you know over his serve woes and things like that so I felt like that set was over so Djokovic then holds and that would have been 4-2 right second set whereas we then sat through the next sort of four games which were a little bit dead for me you know I, I, mm. I, that's what I felt and then you know had we been in Milan actually I know it would have been different because different pressures at different times but the way the games went we would have had a second set tiebreak which I think you know with, with everything they could do with the lights here and the show and, and all that and pump the crowd up and the decibelometer or whatever you call it and things I think a tiebreak's really engaging for the crowd and now uh, we had a situation in Milan where, where Sitsipas played Munar in the groups and he was 4-3, 4-3 up, two tie breaks. He'd won 10 more points in the match. Now, if you put that across a traditional scoring, he'd have just been, you know, a break and 2-1 up in the second or a break and one love break up in the second and you're sort of thinking, ah, is it pretty obvious who's going to win here? But it's two tie breaks and then Munar wins the, the, the third and you think, well, is there going to be an upset here? Even though actually over the, 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 the course of the whole match, Sitsipas completely, well... Outplayed, you know, he dominated him as Djokovic did to Isner tonight. So, I just think there's something in the format. I, you know, I, I, I think there's there's events out there. I think I, you know, I tweeted about it in the, in the ATP 250s, where, you know, I played a lot in my in my career, and there's tournaments out there and there are matches that are out there that take place where there's not an awful lot of interest, right? You look at other sports, and we're a global sport competing with other, you know, global sports, and. You know, before we came on air, we're, we're, we're bantering away about football. But football, look, football's tribal, isn't it? Where, you know, no matter how bad your team play, you turn up and you like, so into the match and you cheer them on, even though, you know, they're trying passes that are flying out the pitch or whatever it is in West Brom's case. Well, but, right. <laughs> um, tennis doesn't have that. So, you, you know, you buy your ticket, you turn up, it's two players that you might have no association with whatsoever. They're not from your country. They might even be from your continent. So what's going to engage you in that match? You know, and, uh, and for me, it's big moments. It's you know fast-paced tennis and action and and that format just brings a little bit more of that. So if you were, we're not you were saying there, Charlie, that, what yeah. did you what did you think? I think there was much to admire about Milan, and I think the whole you know just as a counterpoint to here, I thought all the kids being there every day gave it a real energy, and the players responded really well. I think on the um, the, the scoring, that was you know some of the players said they found it very stressful. Sitsipas used that word. Um, Taylor Fritz was a fan. He said he thought it was great. Good it was way, definitely stressful. Definitely. Yeah. 
uh, and it's exhausting. You know, that's what the players talked about. The intensity is mind-blowing. They, they hadn't quite realised that before because it is that feeling of, like, every point counting. But I, how I, I would agree with you on the 250 point, and I did a piece last week kind of knitting all of it together. I think that would make for a more compelling tour if you did have a few events that had their own rules or did things a little differently. Because at the moment... From event to event, you basically just change surface, and that, that's the only real point of differentiation. But if there were the odd 250 event that had that, you know, was experimenting with a different score system or was playing, you know, Sun Death Juice points, I think it would just be a good way of enlivening some of those events. And, you know, if they work, then yeah, maybe you move them up to 500s, to 1000s even. I do think, um, you know, there's that element of can you play a 250 one week with that format and then as often happens on the tour you're playing a 500 the next week or a 1000 and, and you're back to traditional scoring and is it confusing <laughs> could it be confusing for the crowd and they don't possibly but maybe it's engaging for a different a different you know clientele or I don't know if, even know if that's the right word but a different you know a different crowd that yeah. might be engaged yeah. in those events and a younger crowd and definitely had the feeling in Milan that you know very few to almost no dead games um, didn't feel like you could leave the match because you were straight into a, mm. a, a sort of crunch moment of, of a juice point at love all in the third set all and you think this is pivotal this is the third set is going to swing here and then whoever loses it has got to win two in a row so they're up against it um, the moment with Rublev in the semi-final was was one of the moments of the year for me where he you know he got the, the second time violation on the on the no ad point for, for going to the towel box which was another feature in Milan didn't realise and it, uh, to the ad side hit 197 kilometres an hour serve out wide to win the point <laughs> and then yeah. you know Vicente his coach is like screaming at him like are you crazy <laughs> what's going on here and just yeah it was, it, it was a fun moment and, mm. and a moment that wouldn't have happened in a in the normal format let me tell you what the uh, the tennis podcast uh, crowd are saying I put out there uh, Colin Fleming is wondering in commentary if short sets might work in ATP 250 events. Unique selling point, better for kids with no dead time. Judy Murray says no. Right? So there's Judy Murray's verdict. Uh, Els Kronenberg says no, I hate short sets. Takes away all the tension. Uh, Jeff McMillan says horrible idea all the way around. Klaus says just as horrible as the Davis Cup new format proposal. Joe says let's just change tennis for kids. As long as the kids are happy. We put it to a poll, Colin. 900 votes, 12% of people like it, 88% against. However, but, I, I but have to say... But you don't say, need to have 12% of the tour doing it. I mean, I think that's the point, you know, that for... I, I don't think many are saying it should become, you know, introduced across the board. But I think it's possible to have, you know, different fans appreciate different things. Mm. And, and not every... You know, let's face it, not every tennis fan is going to want to watch two fairly run-in-the-mill players slogging it out in a, in a long five-set match that actually isn't that entertaining. You know, your purist might, but, you know, different fans like different things. And I think it's okay for tennis to be thinking about how we engage lots of different types of fans. Yeah. Well, I, I, I definitely feel they're right to be trying this out I think the, the, other, the, the very I, I guess the other thing I would say is how many teenagers and, and young 20-somethings are using Twitter anymore? The, the, the pace that this life moves. What are they using there? So, uh, well, I, I don't know because I'm not using it, but Instagram, Snapchat, you know. Let's ask somebody young. I think Matt, that's a relevant you... point where, you know, mm. the, the, the things that are moving on, it's such yeah. a pace. Where well, the, that's true. The I Twitter mean, users already. What, what I have against it, I mean, I take, I know the selling points are the more frequent, important moments and, and set changing moments uh, come more often. Um, my. 
issue with it is you don't get these ebbs and flows in a set. You don't get this chance for the tension to build. What I love about a set is the way it can, especially a set that's going three all, four all, five all, and then you suddenly realise just how much this set is going to mean to one of these guys and how crushing it is going to be for the guy that loses it. And, and I think that you feel that around the stadium. I quite like that slow build-up. Otherwise, I think you end up with a film full of endings. I want to have that build-up build and that narrative going all the way through. But I also realise that I am 45 years of age and, and I'm not necessarily the target market. But like I say, I, th- I, 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 I completely agree with you. And I think um, if you're sitting at the O2 and watching two of the top eight players in the world and you're already like so engaged in the match and thinking about who's going to win and how it's going to play out and you're you know right in there or whatever and you, you know you want to see that traditional flow to the match and things but if you're at a different event in a far-flung corner of the world and you're not that engaged with who the players are or something do you, maybe do you want to see something different you know it's there's a whole spectrum of of tennis that's going on out there and i think I, th- I think we're right to, to try things. I think the, the point Chris Commode makes is absolutely right, where we're in this sort of great period of, of tennis, and now's the time to try things. Don't wait till mm. potentially have a little bit of a dip and then panic and start to throw things at it. You know, trial it now. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't work, but all I would say is having had you know a, a week in, in Milan, sitting commentating on it, there were very few matches. If, in fact, I don't think there were any where I came away and went, that was rubbish. You know, that was nothing happened there. No mm. exciting moments. It wasn't engaged. Um, you know, all of them had something. Crowd were engaged, crowd were very young. Um, yes, the, the ATP and the Italian Federation threw a lot of the event. So if you didn't have all the, you know, the Hawkeye Live and you didn't yeah. have all the, you know, similar sort of atmosphere to we have here and you're on an outdoor court somewhere and you know it's a bit windy and would it would it be the same with no music blaring at the change of ends is that the same show of course it's not so it's hard to say it's just the scoring format that got everyone so engaged there but um it was also I, a particularly quick fight wasn't it because the court was quick so it did feel like sets were whizzing by I mean, you had some in about 12 minutes it was strange, you know. What do, what do you think about the uh, the scoring system, Matt? Are you you in for you, you're half our age, so, you know. Tell us what you think. <laughs> I think Collins made a very compelling case. Um, I say I didn't watch a huge amount of the next gen finals, but what I did watch of it, I just think it, I just think it really takes away more than it adds. Uh, as as you said, David, the ebbs and flow of a set is so important and. When you've got these moments that are meant to be more important, if they come about all the time, if they come about so often, they actually lose a bit of their importance. Like a tiebreak is is exciting to me because you've had such a sort of you've had such a set to get there. If suddenly you're in a tiebreak every 15 minutes, it slightly loses its edge for me. And a lot of the sets were either, as Charlie said, over in 12 minutes or a tiebreak. They just seem to be a slight lack of sort of variety, I suppose, when you've only got to get to four. Yeah, and and it's it's as extreme as they can get it in Milan because they did a tiebreak at three-all as well instead of four-all. Do you like this um, no-ad scoring? Because you you would have had that when you were playing doubles. No, I I don't like the no-ad particularly, although maybe that's counterintuitive to to being, you know, a little bit in the supportive camp of of that, that shorter format because that creates more big moments as well which ultimately mm. that's the formula to make it a little bit more exciting for your big moments creating right. more of them um, 
as a player I didn't particularly like it because that, that for me is what creates so much of the stress actually mm. more than it being first to four best of five because every point just feels so important you know if you're serving at 40-30 yeah. in normal scoring like we had in the slams you're, you're pretty chilled you know even if you miss your first serve second serve you think it's fine so in that scoring something's like oh, you know, break point down like I'm under so much pressure here every, every moment like it's relentless and that was something actually Andre Rublev said kind of linked to that he felt that it added an element of randomness having the shorter scoring and the sudden death juice points and he quite punctually used that um Halme Munar sits pass match you referenced Colin as an example he said if that's normal match then sits pass is winning that easily but because you've got this slightly random element to it it was closer you know than it might have been which I guess is great as a fan but as a player might be quite frustrating when you feel that you know games are going against you that maybe you, you should be winning or would have won normally and it's kind of like the match tie break which I know Jamie Murray I don't know how you felt about that but he was he's spoken about feeling really hostile towards it because you come off the court sometimes you're like well how do we lose that match that wasn't really that wasn't really a fair yeah. reflection I didn't it. I didn't mind the match tie break as much um, I still felt like you know it's long enough that Kind of, I, I think the best team, or the, the team that played the highest level, won the match. I think the, the reason the no ad bothered me a little bit as well in doubles is that because it, it changes the nature of the sport in that you could break serve in doubles without a player winning a point on return, whereas you know you could have someone just light it up and win four points on their side. Which for me, as a team game, you know, you should both contribute towards that break. You know, so that was a significant yeah, change to, to things. So. I didn't like it for the, the significant pressure as a player, although as I, I can see as a fan how that created more big moments and also that kind of return element to it as well. But um, look, it's interesting. Do, do I think it's the rule I would sort of expedite quickest into the into the tour? Probably not. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be going there first. I'd be looking at the the short and warm up and possibly getting rid of the warm up. I, I would be looking at even if you have a warm up for me. For example, the singles tonight is 8 p.m., so the player should be on the court at 7.50 doing the warm-up, and the first ball should be at 8. I just think that's so much better for fans, so much better for TV. I don't think that's a difficult thing, because you see the, the warm-up in Milan. It didn't affect anyone. They just adjust what they do. There's a practice court, as there is at the O2, like yeah. a three-minute walk, so you can go and hit there and walk straight to the court if you want. Um, I think there's, there's little things like that where I'd be trying to bring them in sooner and continue to test the, the shortened format. Colin Fleming, Charlie Eccleshare. It's been lovely to have you with us here on the Tennis Podcast. Quick predictions uh, for tomorrow. Kevin Anderson against Candy Shikuri. Oh, tough one. they played a few times recently, haven't they? Um, let's have a bit of Kevin Anderson. Why not? I, my first reaction was, was Nishikori, but I think... Um, I think Anderson will get it done. What are you going with, Charlie? I think Anderson in three. Okay. Uh, we've got doubles tomorrow. Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez against Cabal and Farah. We're only going to ask Colin because he's the expert. Well, there's only one answer there for me, isn't there? I think it's got to be Jamie and Bruno. Okay. Uh, Federer against team in the evening session. Are we going to get another upset? Federer. Federer for me, yeah. What about you, Matt? Yeah, full house. Okay, all right, I'll get that as well. <laughs> Fine. Well, it's been lovely having you with you with us on the tennis podcast. Finally, making your debut, which wasn't your debut. Yeah, it's great. That's what happens when you're on for the second time, isn't it? It's a debut. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so you've re-signed for the club, <laughs> and we're, we're I'm going to have my second beer in a minute as well, and then we should start the uh, the sort of off-limits tennis podcast. Brought to you in association with the Telegraph, uh, executive produced by Melanie Bowes, TennisBalls.com, and Triple S. Our 
mascot, you'll like this, Colin, is Charlie the Ferret. Uh, and, yeah, I can see on the look on your face. And uh, we are uh, also sponsored by La Manga Club. We'll be back tomorrow. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.